Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Deja, Taz, Sola, Wula, Matashang, Talhajus, Tadas Moors, Sabthan, Kantos Khan, Sakoja, Zadonga, Helium, Basun. Jesus, that's why the dude's name is John. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, welcome to Verbal Diorama, I'm Em and this is episode 15, wow, 15 episodes, crazy, um, and today I'm going to be talking about John Carter. We are halfway through Org Stravaganza, which is a thing that I'm doing in August, I'm trying to do an episode a week, so far uh, not really done an episode a week because The Matrix was a couple of days late, um, I'm hoping that John Carter won't be late. But if it is late, know that I have been trying really hard to get everything done on time. It's just, it is really difficult when you've got a full-time job, which is very stressful. And then you've also got to do all of the research and everything that I put into these episodes. Um, it's not easy, but I'm trying my best. So hopefully this will come out on the Sunday. But if it doesn't, then know that I tried. So The Matrix has been doing really well um, and I've actually had some great feedback on it, uh, which is wonderful. Um, a couple of people have messaged me to say that they're going to rewatch it, um, especially kind of through the lens of the transness of the directors um, and to kind of pick up on those parts of the movie that are related to being trans. And so that's really wonderful that people have kind of picked up on that and, and really interested to kind of see the comparisons there as always I'm floored by the number of downloads that I get and and just recently this podcast turned six months old um, and it's crazy that I've been doing this for six months it's it's completely taken over my life but in a really good way um, if you've listened from the start um, I'm really grateful for your continued support if you're a first-time listener welcome to the show. Um, I hope you stick around because I've got some really amazing, brilliant movies coming up in the next few months. 
Um, and I've actually not long announced on um, my social media the final movie of August because I've always said that August is a special month. I'm trying to get this one episode a week thing out of the way, but the final day in August, I'm going to be doing The Iron Giant. And I'm so excited to be doing that movie. I love it so, so much. And it's one of those that isn't really talked about all that much these days. But the feedback that I got from the announcement that I was doing The Iron Giant was so great. And it seems like a lot of people are looking forward to me talking about The Iron Giant. Um, I'm also going to be doing my first ever giveaway and that's going to include the Iron Giant on uh, region free Blu-ray as well as a Funko Pop of the Iron Giant, um, which I actually really want to keep because it's so lovely. It's an original Iron Giant as well. It's not the Ready Player One version of the Iron Giant. It's actually the Iron Giant version of the Iron Giant. So that giveaway is actually going to be announced very soon over on my Twitter um so if you want a chance to be involved and win those two wonderful prizes follow me on twitter at verbal diorama and look out for a post about a giveaway kind of in the next week or two but it'll definitely be before the iron giant episode drops other than that i have no news because these episodes are weekly at the moment so i genuinely spending pretty much all of my time on them um i did manage to get a little piece in for geek salad um, on my second favorite love after the mummy the mcu and i had to choose my favorite scene out of the whole mcu which was really easy and didn't take me ages at all so let's move on to our feature presentation john carter because i have a lot to say about john carter but i want to start with some official verbal diorama statements john carter is not a terrible movie. John Carter isn't perfect, but it's not terrible. I enjoy John Carter, but I have issues with it. I need to get these out of the way so you know upfront my stance on this movie, because I'm going to go into detail on these issues and it's going to appear like I'm crapping on the movie. I'm not. I rewatched John Carter and I had a really good time doing so. So without further ado, here's a trailer that will tell you absolutely nothing about John Carter, so I can. Let them be crushed. Too late once, 
summary about John Carter. When Civil War veteran John Carter mysteriously awakes on the surface of Mars, called Barsoom by its people, he little expects the adventure that awaits him. Carter reluctantly becomes embroiled in an epic conflict among the Red Planet's inhabitants as the Zadangans face off against the Heliumites, as he lands amongst the Tharks led by Tars Tarkas. He unwittingly ends up saving Princess Dejah Thoris as she runs from the Zadangan invaders. As Barsoom is poised on the brink of collapse, war-weary Carter rediscovers his humanity when he realises that everyone's fate is in his hands. I'm just going to briefly talk about the cast. Um, There is actually quite a big cast in this movie. There's quite a lot of characters. There's quite a lot of people who actually have quite a bit of screen time. And there's quite a lot of characters that honestly, I'm glad they differentiate them with red and blue because otherwise I probably couldn't tell the difference. So we have Taylor Kitsch as John Carter, Lynn Collins as Deja Thoris, Samantha Morton as Sola, Willem Dafoe as Tars Tarkas, Thomas Hayden Church as Tal Hadjus, Mark Strong as Matai Shang, Kieran Hines as Tados Moores, Dominic West as Sab Than, James Purefoy as Kantos Khan and Brian Cranston as Powell. The movie was directed by Andrew Stanton and it was written by Andrew Stanton, Mark Andrews and Michael Chabon based on a story, A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. So let's have a talk about the production history of this movie because it's quite long. Uh, the first of Edgar Rice Burroughs' Barsoom series of novels, A Princess of Mars, was first serialised in the pulp magazine, All Story magazine, in July 1912, titled Under the Moons of Mars. It was published as a complete novel in 1917, so that's three years after his other most famous work, Tarzan of the Apes. Uh, A Princess of Mars was followed by ten sequels, including The Gods of Mars and The Warlord of Mars, the two stories of which, if John Carter the movie had actually been successful, Andrew Stanton wanted to use for sequels. So, just a point of reference, if I refer to John Carter, John Carter of Mars, or A Princess of Mars, they're all the same thing. I'm going to be talking about titles a bit later, but let's talk about the movie and how it actually got made. Because it's interesting and long. The movie version of John Carter's introduction to Barsoom has been in the epitome of development hell since 1931, when Looney Tunes director Bob Clampett approached Edgar Rice Burroughs to turn A Princess of Mars into a feature-length animated movie, which would have probably predated Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs as the first full-length animated feature, had it actually been done. The test footage animated by Bob Clampett is available on YouTube, and I'll link to it in the show notes, because it really is quite fascinating. And although short, you can clearly see the passion Bob Clampett had for A Princess of Mars. It was again mentioned in the late 1950s when legendary stop-motion animator Ray Harryhausen expressed an interest in filming the novels in his own inimitable style, which never came to pass. Walt Disney acquired the rights in the 1980s and approached diehard director John McTiernan about a big-budget John Carter movie with Tom Cruise as the number one choice for the character. But at that time, the special effects required to create the visually stunning recreation of Burroughs' stories on Barsoom weren't deemed good enough, and so the project collapsed. 
but Disney retained the rights for a short period before they were ultimately returned to the borough's estate. The movie would carry on languishing in development hell until 2004, when Paramount and Columbia fought each other for the rights to make a live-action version of John Carter of Mars, which Paramount eventually won, with James Jacks at the helm of the production. If you've listened to The Mummy episode, you'll remember his name from that, along also with a guy called Harry Knowles. Robert Rodriguez, the director of Desperado, From Dust Till Dawn and Spy Kids, among many others, signed on in 2004 to direct and planned to utilise the digital stages from Sin City, his next movie at that time. If you've listened to Sky Captain, you'll remember from that episode about Sin City utilising green screen technology post Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. But Park Sky Captain for the time being will be coming back to that shortly. Due to a controversial decision to credit Frank Miller... As a co-director for Sin City, Rodriguez ended up resigning from the Directors Guild of America. Paramount couldn't employ a non-DGA filmmaker and so he left the production of John Carter of Mars, only to be replaced with Kerry Conran. Yes, that Kerry Conran, director of Sky Captain and The World of Tomorrow. So Kerry Conran ended up making a short presentation on his vision of John Carter of Mars, detailing the look of Barsoom, a lot of which is very similar to the final movie. Again, I'll link to this YouTube video in the show notes because I think you might find it interesting. Kerry Conran left production after a reshuffle at Paramount and the losing of the rights to Disney. His brother Kevin, again with that Sky Captain nostalgia, stated in an interview, We worked on that for almost a year. Paramount gave us a fair chunk of money to hire a bunch of guys and put some test footage together. We were actually all prepared to fly to Australia for it and scout locations. We were going to shoot some of the live-action stuff down there. It was right around that time that CEO Cherry Lansing left Paramount. She had been our champion. The new regime, as is often the case, just scuttled everything that was in the mix. We were tabled for a while and didn't know our fate. It left us and, of course, ended up going to Disney, who made the film. I tell my friends, had we been able to finish John Carter and get it released, it would have changed Hollywood history in a really profound way. Avatar came out a year or two after we would have been released, and it's a similar story. Earth Warrior goes to Alien World, falls in love, and leads an uprising. We have things in our version of John Carter that actually are in Avatar. The flying mountains and the four-winged lizard creatures, all this kind of stuff we had in our early prep work. It's weird, if we'd come out a year and a half ahead of Avatar, they would have had to scramble and change some things. We were close. We were on the way to Australia and had spent three and a half million bucks doing tests and hiring people. We thought we were going to do it. I want to talk about influences later, so let's park Avatar for that. So that's Kerry Conran out of the picture, and in October 2005, John Favreau replaced him. And Favreau really wanted to keep the script faithful to Burr's original works, retaining the Civil War links and making sure the Tharks were 15 foot tall. Unlike Rodriguez and Conran, Favreau, clearly a man after my own heart, wanted to utilise practical effects over CGI, using makeup and visual tricks, and only very minimal CGI. In August 2006, however, Paramount chose to not renew the rights to the movie, and Favreau moved on to Iron Man, and the rest, as they say, is history. And so we get to eventual director Andrew Stanton, who directed Finding Nemo and Wall-E for Pixar, undoubtedly two of the greatest animated movies of the 2000s. He persuaded Disney to reacquire the rights and Disney was sceptical because Stanton had never directed live action before. Plus, he wanted to hire relative unknowns in the cast. The movie had languished in development hell for so long, would an audience even want to see John Carter of Mars? 
You might argue that it was the combined successes of Finding Nemo and Wally that got us John Carter, because it was those movies and their eventual successes that convinced Disney to give Stanton the gig and to give him almost complete free reign on the production. By 2008, a first draft script for John Carter of Mars was complete. And Taylor Kitsch, who up to that point was most well known for Friday Night Lights, was cast as Confederate soldier John Carter. And joining him was his X-Men Origins Wolverine co-star Lynn Collins as Deja Thoris. Both were their first lead roles in a production, giving Stanton his wish for relative unknowns. Principal photography commenced in January 2010 and ended that July. At this point, we must mention that Stanton, after competing reshoots, denied the movie was over budget, but did admit to reshooting much of the movie twice. Due to his inexperience of live-action filmmaking, he admitted to finding the process difficult and he sought advice from his colleagues at Pixar rather than fellow live-action directors. So at this point, John Carter of Mars has an inexperienced director, two inexperienced leads and Disney had just appointed a new chairman, Rich Ross, who also had zero movie experience. So... You know, there could have been a bit more experience running this $250 million ship, but I digress. It's coming up to release date, March 2012, the centenary of Edgar Rice Burroughs' original works. The movie adaptation is finally almost ready and a marketing push begins. Andrew Stanton refused and disagreed with the advice from head Walt Disney Studios marketing department, M.T. Carney, because Stanton had his own ideas for the marketing. He believed audiences would already know about the source material and didn't need to be told anything about Edgar Rice Burroughs. He also chose the Led Zeppelin song Cashmere for the trailer, despite criticism that it would alienate a younger audience. As I've mentioned, the original book was titled A Princess of Mars and an Asylum rip-off movie had already beaten them to the punch on that title three years prior. But this movie was to be called John Carter of Mars. Stanton then decided to remove of Mars to make it an origin story of John Carter becoming John Carter of Mars. There was this idea in Hollywood at the time that movies with Mars in the title always seemed to bomb at the box office. So the studio actually preferred to avoid any mention of the Red Planet, as if it was some planetary curse to have your movie set on or near Mars. This was solidified for Disney in 2011 with the release of Mars Needs Moms, which was a massive box office disaster for Walt Disney Studios. And so they felt the removing of of Mars was justified. The movie, now titled John Carter, was marketed without any reference to Edgar Rice Burroughs or A Princess of Mars, or indeed Mars at all. The romance element of the story was also not mentioned, despite it featuring prominently in the movie. There was also no mention of it influencing some of the biggest movies of all time, such as aforementioned Avatar and also Star Wars. The acquisition of Lucasfilm was in fact ongoing during the production of John Carter. And whether that had something to do with the fact that Disney were, shall we say, distracted from the production is only speculation. But you have to ask yourself... Why would Disney want John Carter if they had Star Wars? Which, although it was heavily influenced by Edgar Rice Burroughs' novels, it was a much more lucrative cinematic property than John Carter could ever aspire to be. So here you have this movie simply called John Carter. John Carter. (laughs) If you know the original novels, you might be interested... John Carter is hardly as well-known worldwide as Burroughs' other literary hero, Tarzan. You know who Tarzan is immediately. John Carter, though, 
it's interesting because a movie called John Carter genuinely sounds boring. A movie called John Wick also sounds a bit boring. What's interesting is if you compare them is John Carter has all of this legacy behind him. You know, he's got 100 years of stories and yet still sounds like a totally boring movie. You know, it's like he could be an insurance agent or a solicitor or something, John Carter. John Wick, on the other hand, has built its universe through three movies. And now the name John Wick is as interesting as the character is in his universe, Notorious. I think it helps, of course, you have Keanu Reeves in the movie, a man that exudes charisma without even trying. And this is part of the problem with John Carter. I'll reiterate, it's not a terrible movie. I find it fun. I find the mythos interesting and some of the characters really engaging. But John Carter's main issues for me are its insistence on telling rather than showing, such as the insistence John is a great fighter. We never really see that. We're told he's a great fighter, but every instance where he fights, it's either really short or it comes too late in the movie. We needed to have been shown that earlier. It's very exposition heavy intro does not need to be there. We do not need to see Mars. We do not need to be introduced to Barsoom and to the people of Barsoom. That will all come later in the movie. And really the main issue is Taylor Kitsch. Now, I need to clarify that I don't think Taylor Kitsch is a terrible actor by any stretch. I just don't think he's right for this particular part. John Carter is a man of few words. And so you need a leading man who exudes this natural charisma someone who can say things without words, someone who you genuinely believe is this famous Civil War veteran who lost his family, who fights for no side until he truly believes in the cause of helium and his love for Dejah Thoris. Honestly, where was Keanu? All jokes and my episodic mention of Keanu aside, I seriously think Taylor Kitsch is trying his best and from interviews with him, he's genuinely very proud of John Carter. He looks the part... But as the titular character, we need to be able to relate to him, to understand him and to empathise with him. And unfortunately, I think in this movie, he's one of the weakest links. He also starred in Battleship the same year, which was also a bit of a massive disaster. 2012 was not Taylor's year. One of the strongest for me is Lynn Collins. Her Dejah Thoris is fern, feisty, intelligent and strong-willed. She's a princess, but she's also the helium scientist. She's working to try to save her people and her planet. Lynn Collins is genuinely delightful in this movie. She looks beautiful. She's not just a damsel in distress that John needs to save. She has that Evie Carnahan quality that I genuinely love. This movie takes a few cues from The Mummy, actually, and it tries to be everything. It tries to be a comedy, but most of the jokes fall flat. It tries to be a science fiction adventure, but it's very easy to feel lost against all of these characters and species names and locations. Um, it tries to be a romance, but you never really feel invested in John and Deja as a couple because their romance feels very rushed. And then all of a sudden they're married and you're like, what? Willem Dafoe is also great doing mocap work on stilts as Tars Tarkas, leader of the Tharks, which, as I mentioned previously, look very similar to the depictions in Kerry Conan's presentation reel. The Tharks themselves are interesting, if only for their societal hierarchy, almost feeling like Romans with their grand coliseum and insistence on murdering their own in cold blood if it was sport. The coliseum itself is very reminiscent of the one in Attack of the Clones, for example. But ugh, this movie is so frustrating. It's so frustrating because 
it's on the whole enjoyable and it has this rich legacy and you know I love movies with interesting stories and then you watch it and you see how great it could have been and it's so annoying there are some really lovely things about it Michael Giacchino's score is truly wonderful and it conveys the breathtaking vista of Mars and its inhabitants the CGI effects look good on the whole especially on the Tharks and those beautiful steampunk airships really are gorgeous to look at and you can clearly see the seeds of Star Wars, Flash Gordon, even Indiana Jones with all the archaeology and when John Carter appears on Mars and tries to acclimatise to the Martian atmosphere and gravity and realises he can jump and he's so much stronger. It's almost got like a superhero origin story vibe there but it's like it has all of these things and presents them to you and then it fails to deliver on its promises. Its pacing is terrible and at some points it's completely incomprehensible unless you're a massive fan of the original stories. But if you were, you weren't actually told it was anything to do with those in the marketing. So the, the effing marketing was so bad. Calling it John Carter of Mars makes a hell of a lot more sense than just John Carter. And I'm sure Disney blame its failure on the location of Mars, but that has absolutely nothing to do with it. Nothing. The fault lies with Disney allowing Andrew Stanton complete control over the production and marketing. I actually think someone like J.J. Abrams could have done wonders with material like John Carter. It's frustrating as well because I actually enjoyed watching this movie again. I was one of the few who was intrigued by the marketing in 2012. I read up on the character and thought this could be fun. I went on opening night actually and honestly it was one of the lowest turnouts I've ever seen although recently beaten by X-Men Dark Phoenix which had fewer bums on seats in my cinema of choice. I remember enjoying this movie back in 2012 but struggling to follow it. I enjoyed it once more but again the mythos of the movie isn't particularly easy to follow although I have to say overall I do enjoy it. I don't want anyone to walk away from this podcast thinking I'm dumping on this movie. I'm really not. I see its potential so much and that's what frustrates me. I'm genuinely quite sad that most people will never see this movie based on the negative press and the fact it's pretty much disappeared from the general movie-going public. You should watch it and see it for what it is. Like Tars Tarkas says to John Carter, you are ugly, but you are beautiful. That's this movie in a nutshell. Ultimately, this movie ended up being a massive flop, one of the biggest of all time, due to its massive budget, massively going over that budget, and massive marketing costs. Its claimed cost was $250 million. However, it's reported it was more along the lines of $350 million after those reshoots. It ended up making $284 million worldwide. It did, however, do exceptionally well in Russia and China, but it was second place in the US box office on its opening weekend after the Lorax, which had opened the previous week. For Disney to have their big budget temple movie debut second place after a Dr. Seuss animation was humiliating at best. To put it in perspective, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, which was based on a theme park ride, had an opening weekend of $46.6 million, which then rose and rose on good word of mouth. John Carter, based on a very popular series of books, had an opening weekend of $30.2 million and never really recovered through word of mouth marketing because not many people saw it and those that did left the cinema bewildered because the movie that had been marketed to them was nothing like that marketing. Critics were divided on it and it currently sits at 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. So they were really split down the middle on it. It's estimated that the movie lost $145 million. However, that figure is probably more along the lines of $200 million. 
the proposed sequel, John Carter, The Gods of Mars, was scrapped. And it's highly likely that we will never again see a movie adaptation of John Carter. And that makes me genuinely quite sad. There's a book called John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood by Michael D. Sellers, which goes into great detail about the failings of John Carter. I haven't read it personally, but a lot of what I found on the internet directly references this book as their source. So I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. It's apparently a good read if you're interested to know more about why John Carter was such a massive failure. And a lot of that lies at the feet of marketing and why marketing is so important for a movie. A good movie marketed badly will likely struggle. A bad movie with good marketing will still get bums on seats regardless of its quality. As much as marketing departments sometimes fail, I do wonder what could have happened for John Carter had the Disney marketers actually been given the chance to do their job. It definitely would not have lost so much money and might be a bit more universally enjoyed and respected. Honestly, it really deserves both. So I usually ask for social media thoughts and I have done for John Carter and I got quite a few from Twitter. So Andy at Geek Salad Radio said, I can't quite recall if this was the second or third kick ever can of trying to make Taylor Kitsch a thing. Um, And then Mike at Gundam Guyver replied, to be fair, it wasn't really his fault. And Andy replied, see also Battleship. And it's true. At this point, Taylor Kitsch really was trying to be at the forefront of these kind of big budget movies. And as I mentioned before, Battleship also came out in 2012. So we had two massive movies that came out in 2012 and they both flopped quite badly. Um, So yeah, poor Taylor. Uh, Jeff at at the Flicks pod said, I love the Edgar Rice Burroughs books and I thought the film captured the essence of them. Really enjoyed the film and was so disappointed when critics like Mark Commode just dismissed it for being expensive. At Comics in Motion P said, I thought it got a bit of a rough ride and wasn't as bad as it was made out to be. Christopher at Timeshifters Pod said, This poor film had so many cooks in its kitchen, poorly handled by the studio at almost every step. I really loved seeing this and seeing the worlds of Burroughs brought to a big budget screen should have done better and it should have started a franchise. At Pulp Serial said, A movie I wish I'd seen in the theatre. Sadly, when it came out, I had no money and was looking for a job. Watched it on HBO about three years ago and loved it ever since. At Eric, aka Movie Fan, said, A fun, if uneven adventure film that was poorly marketed. While I unfortunately think Taylor Kitsch was miscast as John Carter, the filmmakers completely nailed it with Willem Dafoe as Tars Tarkas and Lynn Collins as a more modern Deja Thoris and the CGI creation of Wooler, the space dog. Story-wise, it was a bit odd but understandable that they mixed in elements from future books and would have been interesting to see where they would have gone with a sequel. Actually found out about the John Carter books because Sky Captain, as Kerry Connor was, was on board to direct it at one point. I'm probably just repeating what I said on Instagram a month or two ago, so apologies for that. And I think it's great that we obviously agree on the miscasting of John Carter and the great casting of Willem Dafoe and Lynn Collins. I actually didn't mention Wooler, um, but Wooler's a really fun and interesting character as well. And I think they did quite a good job uh, introducing him at Dream of Dragons said, It was different yet amazing to see where so many fantasy and sci-fi worlds came from with this series. It has helped my book obsession to track down the original series. Have a fair few thanks to a local book fair. Still so many to go. Truly wish they had continued with the films. At the Middleborn said it was the first film I saw on the silver screen. I absolutely loved it, as I love the Burroughs stories. It's cheesy at many points. Some of the green screen is terrible, and Kitch isn't the best leading 
Nan, but it's so much dang fun. And the music by Giacchino is gorgeous. And finally, at Lawrence Horde 91 said, Amazing CGI and concept, but you can tell when a movie just isn't going anywhere. John Carter was horribly written. So, just to finish off, because I feel like I've literally just taken a big massive dump on John Carter for like the last half an hour. But I really actually do enjoy this movie. It's one of those movies that just needs to be given a chance. And given time, it might actually become a bit of a cult classic. It did deserve to be better and to be received better, despite its turbulent history and journey to the silver screen. 15 episodes ago, crikey, I looked into Titan AE, which similarly flopped and brought down an entire studio. John Carter was never going to bring down the Disney behemoth, but it, like Titan AE, deserves to be known as more than one of the biggest flops ever. Honestly, it does deserve your time. If you do have two and a bit hours spare, search out. You will find something to enjoy in it, even if all that is, is that the film looks really gorgeous and that beautiful, beautiful Michael Giacchino score. Honestly, it's so lovely. You should check it out just for that. Thank you for listening. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on John Carter. My next episode will be out in one week and it will be Willow. And I'm very excited to talk about Willow because I used to watch it all the time as a kid and I've not watched it for a long time. So I'm really excited to revisit that. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on, here we go, Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992 and 2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999 and The Matrix. And I am actually quite impressed with myself because I've managed to get three of my previous episodes referenced in this episode. So go me. Oh, and they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, because I'm also on YouTube now, and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. I can't guarantee to always do anything that I'm suggested because it very much depends on my schedule and what I've got planned. My schedule is currently planned up until pretty much March of next year now. So, ooh, actually more like April. But it's it's planned, basically. Um, if you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review, I would really appreciate it. You can do so on iTunes. Thank you in advance. And thank you to those who have recently left me reviews. I am very, very grateful. Usually at this point, I mention my Kofi. However, if you've listened to previous August episodes, you'll know that I'm not doing that this month because of this extravaganza thing going on. And because it's my birthday, I don't want anything from you guys. I would just really appreciate it if instead of giving something to me that if you want to donate something, if you want to show your appreciation for what I do, please make a donation to a charity called Shine. They support babies and children with spina bifida, hydrocephalus and related conditions. And they also provide advice and support for families. I'll put a link in the show notes as always, but otherwise their website is shinecharity.org.uk slash donate. And if I do get any Kofi donations during the month of August, I'm just going to pop them over to Shine. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. And och, oham, och tai, wheeze, coffee. Hey, what do you know? <laughs>